Welcome to the King's Cast. Dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I need to turn in your Bibles to um, Matthew's Gospel and chapter 5. I'm going to use this really big Bible. Hang on. You know, this is the Bible that a few years ago I'd have called large print. Now I just call normal print. Look at that. Uh, you may not know this, but there's a legendary story, and uh, perhaps I shouldn't tell it with Alan Tracy not here, who suffered uh, the most from this problem. But uh, my eyes began to go a little bit. And uh, one day I was, uh, I was at the back, you know, and I said to the guys, guys, in church this was, I said, I think the, think the projector's uh, going. The, the focus isn't very good. This was back on Tenson Road. And they said, oh, no, no, no you know, it looks right. I said, no, 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 the focus is just terrible. You can't really see the letters anymore. They're not as clear as they used to be. So they said, well, all right, because they do anything for me, you know. So they got out a ladder and Laurel and Hardy, and they got up there, and someone risked their life. Going, you know, remember where it was, high up in the air, you know, and they're fiddling with it. And they said, well, we did the best we could. I said, it's not made any difference at all. And then I went down the opticians at Tesco the next day. Those are my eyes. There's nothing wrong with the projector at all. So a hearty apology to everyone who um, fiddled with the projector that day. I now believe you that it, that it was okay all along. And it was just me that was, um, just me that was conking out. Okay, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Can you say amen? Okay. And uh, we've been talking about how Jesus was teaching really on the Ten Commandments, but trying to bring the people uh, back to the, the original meanings of the Ten Commandments, that the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, he was bringing them back to the original meaning, wasn't he? That's what he was trying to do, trying to bring the people back to the original meaning. The original meaning, not of the Hebrew or the Aramaic, but the original meaning of God's heart. Sometimes you can go do all sorts of Bible studies, but you can miss the heart of God. You can have all sorts of knowledge of Hebrew and Greek. When I was at college, uh, there was opportunity to learn Hebrew and Greek, and I learned Greek. And there were plenty of people who were more advanced intellectually than I and knew Hebrew. But it didn't mean that by knowing the original languages, they were any closer to the heart of God. And, uh, and I think that could be true here. It's not so much that the people had not understood, but they had misapplied what God had intended. So we've been looking at a new a new heart, a renewed people. And last week we began to talk about a new control or renewed control where Jesus said, okay, you haven't murdered anyone, but it's not good to be mad and angry either. And here we come now to adultery where Jesus is going to say, of course it's wrong to commit adultery, but you're not supposed to wish you could commit adultery either. And we will, we will read. You have heard that it was said, verse 27, Matthew 5, 27. 
You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman, uh, brackets, or a man, okay, lustfully, has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Hmm, let's stop there. It's not my intention really to do, say too much about verses 31 and 32. On the, um, on the church website, kingscambridge.org, there are notes from this uh, teaching And so lots of stuff that I may not say in the room is all there for you to read. And I really recommend that you regularly go to that, particularly after we finish teaching each week and just have a look at it. And we note there that there are a number of reasons in the Bible given that allow people to uh, divorce and and to remarry. Uh, Death is one of them. Uh, Adultery is uh, another one. Abandonment for the faith is in 1 Corinthians 7. And many uh, Christian denominations, though not all, but many Christian denominations, the Assemblies of God among them, uh, usually permit remarriage on the grounds of conversion. So if someone is converted, they normally show grace and allow them to have a kind of a clean slate. And uh, if you want to read more about some ideas surrounding that, I recommend looking at the website there. Let's look at this thing about looking at a woman or a man lustfully, already having committed adultery with that person in our hearts. We're still talking about self-control. Last week, or in this sermon last time, self-control over anger. And we talked about that God has given us the ability to apply the break. And we're going to discover the same thing here today, that God has given us the ability to apply the break uh, when it comes to the whole uh, area of what we should call forbidden, uh, forbidden sex as opposed to um, permitted sex. Let's see how, how significant it is in the Bible. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I just want you to see a couple of um, passages this afternoon where we see how much God prizes uh, sexual purity. It's not incidental to God. Sexual purity is something that we should um, learn from God and not from Oprah. Can you say amen? Sexual purity and the standards of how we should live our lives is not something that we should learn from Jeremy Kyle. But it's something we should learn from God. It's not something you should learn from your sister or even your mother or your father. 
It's something we have to learn from our Heavenly Father. Verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4 says, It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. It's the first thing in this little list here. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you. For God, verse 7, didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Now just thumb back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's see some of this again. And we'll pick up on this towards the end of our time today as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. I'm going to pick up on that a lot in about 10 minutes time. Flee. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. In Galatians chapter 5, we won't turn to it, but Paul talks about the difference between life in the Spirit and life in the flesh. He says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness. He gives this great long list of nine wonderful fruit that come from living a life in the Spirit. But in Galatians 5, before that, he talks about the works of the flesh or the works of the sinful nature. And he says the works of the sinful nature are obvious. You don't really need to spell them out, he says, but of course... He's going to, he's a bit like a preacher. I don't need to tell you this, but let me tell you it anyway for half an hour. And he says the works of the, of the, uh, of the flesh are obvious. And the first one he lists before he gets to anger, before he gets to wrath, before he gets to lying, before he gets to any of them, the first one he mentions is sexual immorality. It's the first one he mentions. So God is looking to us uh, to live a life of purity. But here's the problem. Many people find it so very, very difficult. They find it so difficult, in fact, that they feel it's impossible and therefore, like, any, uh, like anything that is deemed impossible, it's kind of tucked away. Well, I, there's no way I can live as pure as the Bible wants me to, so I'm just going to I'm just going to do my best. It's a bit like rewriting the Ten Commandments, thinking the Ten Commandments are like an exam paper. There are ten points on the bit of paper, and the top it says, attempt any four. Uh, as though it's kind of, well, I'll just pick and choose, you know, what it is that I'll do. And of course, that's not God's will for us, is it? God wants us to be uh, pure in every way, to have self-control in every way, and uh, not to be in any way neglected is this area of sexual purity. 
I want to give you three ways, and there are probably many, many more, but three ways that we can live out this sexual purity in our, in our lives. The Bible says, do not commit adultery. And I believe that no one, by and large, no one wants to commit adultery. No one arrives at the wedding, stands at the front, looks at the vicar or the pastor, says the vows. No one on that day thinks to themselves, I'm going to commit adultery. No one thinks that. And if you ask someone, if you sit, sat down with them and said, Do you, are you happy? Yes, I'm very happy with my wife or my husband. Do you think you'll ever commit adultery? No, I, I'd never commit it. I would never be unfaithful to her or to him. And yet suddenly, people can find themselves absolutely compromised. And of course, this works in, in, in the reality of actual adultery, but it also works, of course, in what I'll call the virtual adultery of what can go on inside a man or a woman's mind. Perhaps there's two kinds of adultery that we should think about. One is the, what you might call the real adultery, or the adultery you could photograph, the adultery you could document, the adultery that could take you to a court. But there's another kind of adultery. The kind of adultery where uh, someone may not have sexual uh, desires for someone else, but they start to get romantic desires for someone else. And I think that that is as much a, 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 a stepping stone or the, or the adultery of heart. A, a young woman working in a, in a workplace, in a difficult marriage, starts to get friendly with one of the guys at work and, and starts to really like him. He's funny. He seems smart. He's got those, those shoes that she likes. And she starts to like him and they start to have coffee. And, 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 and does she want to take that man into bed today? Absolutely not. But inside her heart, there starts to come a romantic connection. Similarly, her husband, working in another part of that city, he doesn't have a romantic inclination, but that girl who, who arrives to bring in the parcels each day, he's sexually attracted to her. And he starts to commit adultery in his mind or inside his heart. They're both stepping out of the will of God. How can we overcome this? Number one, number one, and there could be a hundred in this list, but I believe if we just did these three, we have built ourselves some safeguards. Number one is we have to admit where we are weak. We have to admit where we are weak. I'm not so sure that anyone should boldly stand up and say, well, it would never happen to me. Look at my beautiful wife. I know when people meet me around the place and they see my beautiful wife, they see it as final and clinching proof of the existence of God. 
They said, well, how did a guy like you get a wife like that? Where did you get her from? To which I always reply, I got mine from God. Where did you get yours from? But no one should say, it could never happen to me. No one should say that. Because the Bible says, let those who stand take heed lest they fall. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should program ourselves to think that we are weak. But I'm suggesting that we should uh, face the facts. That we are as capable as anyone, that I am as capable as anyone of doing something that on my wedding day I would have thought was unimaginable. I'm capable of it. Why am I capable of it? Because I'm a human being. Redeemed by Jesus, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is, uh, there's a wonderful verse, isn't there? In the Garden of Gethsemane, where the disciples want to pray, but they fall asleep. And Jesus says these words, which have echoed throughout all of time. And here I bring them to our attention again today. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says this, No temptation has seized you except which is common to man. In other words, these kinds of things are common to man. One guy, he gave me this phrase many years ago. I thought it was wonderful. He said this, he said, God's not looking for us to be strong God's looking for us to be pure. And I had to think about that for a while. And I think I understand what he was trying to say. God's not looking for us to pretend that we are strong. It's much better to say, you know what, I need God's help every day. It's much better to say that I need to be careful, that I need to watch my life and doctrine closely. It's much better to say, Lord God Almighty, Will you lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil? Rather than say, you know, I've never happened to me. No, I'm never going to have an affair. I'm never going to commit adultery. I'm never going to jump into bed with someone. No, I'm never going to do that. No, much better to say, Lord, by your grace this won't happen. But I need to make some smart choices in this life to keep me in the will of of Almighty God. God's not looking for us to be strong. He's looking for us to be pure. Let's do the second one. The second one is, first of all, we have to admit weakness. The second way to overcome this problem is to amputate the temptation. What did Jesus say? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, what did he mean by that? I've been in church for 20 years. I never saw that happen, did you? I didn't see that happen. I never saw an altar call where people came out the front and and the preacher walked along and said, God bless you, son. Do you want your eye or your hand? Oh, I'd, I'd rather 
lose my hand, okay, deacons. And he comes on with a saw. And off it goes. No one leaves here empty-handed. Cut your hands off. I never saw that happen. And incidentally, listen, 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 listen. Do you believe, let's make up a fictional character. We're going to make up a character called Tom. And if you're called Tom, don't get nervous now. It's just a fictional character. But I want you to imagine a guy called Tom. He works. Where does he work? He works over at the Kentucky Fried Chicken over the road here. And, and please don't go over there afterwards looking for him. I'm making this up. All right. Where's Tom? Where is he? We've come to cut his hand off. If you do that, you tell him you're from Zion Baptist Church. But I want you to imagine a character called Tom. And while he's doing his Kentucky Fried Chicken with his secret recipe or whatever it is, he starts to, to fancy the girl who does the other bit of chicken. You know, the girl who does the hot wings. He, he begins to like her. And, but he's a Christian and he knows he's not supposed to have these lustful feelings about her. But he starts to get these lustful feelings about her. Do you honestly believe that if that guy came into church and had his hand cut off, that it would make the slightest bit of difference to his feelings? Uh-uh. Blind people still lust. Right? People with one hand still lust. So just in case people were getting a bit worried about what bits of our body we're going to cut off today, and that's why we sent the children out, we're not talking about removing our hand or our eye. But there is an amputation that we have to do. We have to get temptation out of our path. And that's the amputation that we must perform. You know, if you start to get a bit too interested in that lady that gives you a lift to work, or that guy that gives you a lift to work, if you start to get a bit... Do you know that most affairs do not begin with sex? They begin with an intimate conversation. Most affairs do not begin with a kiss at the water cooler. They begin with a conversation at the water cooler. Now, now, let's be clear. I'm not saying no talking at the water cooler. You go to the water cooler. Hello, don't you talk to me. But most affairs do not begin with kissing and cuddling in hand, they begin with a conversation. Where one person wishes the other person belonged to them. Where one person felt an affinity with that other one. Then it might proceed to, oh, a, a, just, just a text or two. Yeah, just the odd Facebook message or two. It's long before we've got to the hotel. Can you say amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't, begin, it doesn't begin at the hotel. The adultery doesn't begin at the secret hotel. The adultery begins with something that looks perfectly kosher and harmless, but you 
can know in your heart if it's harmless or not. That's what we have to amputate. That's what we have to say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this off. You start to get a bit too friendly with the guy who's driving you to work. Take the bus. Walk. Do something else. But amputate it. Now, you could say, well, no, no. What I'm going to do is I'm starting to get, I know I'm married to this one, but I'm starting to feel these feelings for this other person. I'm going to go away and pray about it. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to pray about it because the Bible tells you exactly what to do. And we're going to get to the main one in a minute, but the first one, amputate, amputate, amputate. Get rid of it. Now, there's ways to get rid of it. As that guy pulls up alongside your house to take you to work, don't run out and go, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Just drop him a text and say, I'm going to start walking from now on and don't pretend you don't have his number. We amputate, we amputate, we amputate. Sex is such a funny, funny thing. I, uh, I'm amazed at, um, I don't know whether to say this or not, but I, shall I? I'm amazed. It's like before people are, are married, all they want to do is get into bed all the time, and then when they get married, they don't want to get into bed anymore. That's not good news if you're just about to get married, is it? You're sitting there going, is that true? Really, I, I, I just thought it was us. You know, either since she had the children and it's not worked out all that well ever since. <laughs> but like prior to marriage, it's like Satan wants to get you into bed and then as soon as you get married, it's anything you can to keep you out of the bed, except to sleep. Oh, really? Is that really how it is? Well, that seems to be from many conversations I've had how it is. It's a funny old thing. That would, that would leaves us open up. The Bible actually tells us now. And we got, you know, I can say things here. We've, we have cleared the room of uh, anyone who could feel offended by this. But the Bible tells us actually to have sex a lot. The Bible, in fact, tells us in a, in a married relationship, of course, that the only reason not to have sex is when you're in fasting and prayer. So look, if you've eaten today, you're a candidate. But the, the door of temptation opens up. Amputate, amputate. One guy, he, uh, he's a friend of mine. I'm going back many, many years. And his wife would regularly go away to see her sister. And when his wife went away to see her sister, as soon as she left the house, he became the captive of pornography for the whole period that she was away. And he came to me and he said, I need you to pray for me. And he was honest. He said, look, this is happening. It happens every time. And we're going back a few years when there were, computers were reasonably new. They were new to me anyway. I was a bit late in the day with it. But we're going back maybe, you know, 20 years when computer, home computers weren't all that, all that common, I suppose, 15 years ago. And he looked at me in the eyes. He said, this is what I'm going to do. And he picked up, listen, the, uh, the garden clippers. 
and he went over and he cut, he physically cut the internet connection in the house. Now I thought two things, praise God, and how's he going to explain that to her when she comes home? Because today with Wi-Fi, that's a bit more tricky to do. These are the days so of the only way you get the internet was a giant cable the size of a, you know, a, a giant cable in the house, the size of a giant pipe going into the back of it. And he cut the wires. Why? Because he knew he wasn't strong and he was trying to be pure. Amputate. You cut your hand off, but that's not going to do it. You might have to cut the Wi-Fi off. Or you might have to cut the appointment off. Or you might have to make some rearrangements, some readjustments. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a righteous man is very careful about the highway on which he walks. He walks upon a righteous highway. In other words, he he is careful to walk in ways that keep him close to God. Number three, how can we be free of this problem? is we simply must learn to flee. In the Bible, on a number of occasions, look at this, all these drinks are small. I'm getting through two instead of one here. The Bible tells us in the area of sexual immorality, flee, flee sexual immorality, flee, run. What's flee mean? Run. Run! Here's something I've been thinking about. When does a general of an army tell his soldiers to run for their lives? When? When the odds are impossible. When does a general arrive or a military commander and say to the troops, run for your lives? When? When does anyone ever say that? When defeat is inevitable, that's when. That doesn't bear well for us, thinking, oh, we're strong. Yes, I, I've prayed. I, although I've got these feelings for this lady or this man, I've prayed about it, and I'm going to be all right. You may not be all right if you don't do what the Bible tells you to do, which is to run. Praying about something, talking about something is beneficial. But even more beneficial is to obey the life manual right in front of you, which is to run, flee from sexual immorality. It says 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18. We read it a moment ago. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, the young man is told to do this. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness. Run away from this. And run to that. Radical amputation. And then learn to run. Didn't Joseph in the Old Testament teach us something of this? When he entered into Potiphar's wife's bedroom. And she pulled back the sheets. Is that in the Bible or just in the musical? I can't remember. But you know, and tried to lure him into her bed. The Bible says that he ran out of the house. Do you know what he didn't do? He didn't sit on the end of the bed and say, now look, calm down. Come on. What do you think you're doing? Shall I read you a bit of the Gospel of John? 
Can I give you a Gideon Bible? You never heard of Gideon? No, he's not been born yet. But anyway, let me just give you this. He didn't sit down and talk about it. He didn't go away and pray in other tongues and come back. He never came back. He got out. He got out of there. Now, once again, I'm not suggesting that tomorrow morning you're just making coffee in the works kitchen and then that guy comes and you go, and you run out the door. You're liable to be given the left foot of fellowship from that, from that workplace. But there are things we can do to protect ourselves. Can you imagine going on a diet and while you're on the diet there is a and imagine you're like love chocolate or whatever. You're going to go on a diet but while you're on the diet the lounge is going to be full of quality street tins opened with lights on them. You're not going to last very long. An alcoholic can't decide I'm going to give up the drink but just have a bottle in the kitchen. All that's happening is we're simply delaying the inevitable. It's going to go wrong. And if you don't flee, if you don't commit the amputation that you need to do, and, and God, is, it's really interesting, Jesus doesn't say that God will do the amputation. We have to do the amputation. It's, it's extraordinary. If you don't remember anything else, remember that. You can't come to the front and say, Lord, will you change the way I feel? Or, Lord, will you? I mean, you can, of course, God can help you, but that's not the only thing you need to do. Lord, will you cause that person to leave the workplace and go and work in Swindon? Well, maybe that's not what's going to happen. It might be that you have to obey Jesus' words and you have to cut off that which could be a problem to you. James 4 verse 7 says this, and I'm almost done. But James 4 verse 7 says this, that we should submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Sometimes, and now I'm being a bit naughty and a bit tongue-in-cheek, I know, But sometimes, it's almost as though we misread that verse. We're supposed to resist the devil. We're not supposed to assist the devil. And by ignoring the warning signs, by ignoring some of the scenarios that we find ourselves in, we can find ourselves accidentally perhaps, assisting the devil, not resisting the devil. One time I was with a friend of mine in a little village just outside Torquay and I went down and he was by the school gates. And just opposite the school gates where they picked up the kids there was like a coffee shop or a, yes, I think, yes, it was a coffee shop, a small one. And he, he was a friend of mine, a good, godly Christian man. And he got friendly with a lady from the coffee shop 
And one day I went down and I met him there and I met him and her together. And something inside me just went, oh my goodness, what is happening here? Because all the body language that she was, particularly her, was exhibiting was to suggest that she was a predator and she was after him. He was a married man. So was she was a married lady. Now, I'm not excusing my friend at all, but all of the body language said that they were a couple. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, there's a certain way, isn't there, that people stand and talk that suggested they were a couple. And I said to him in the car afterwards, I think you should be a bit careful about her. I should have said to him as well, I think you should be a bit careful about you. But I think you should be a bit careful about her. I didn't like that. She might get the wrong idea. Sure enough. Sure enough. Maybe a week later or two, he phoned me up late at night to say, would I come with him? Because her husband had found out about them. I thought, do I want to come with you to have that meeting? Now, they had not committed any act of adultery. But that's not what her husband thought. That had the power to destroy him, destroy his marriage. Just a simple meeting at the school gates had the power to do some incredible damage. I think it's good for a man to have female friends. I think it's good for a female to have male friends. But by and large, I don't have any female friends that are not also my wife's friends, right? I don't have any secret female friends. I don't have any private female friends that are not also my wife's friends. I offer that as, a, as one way to build in a safeguard into your life. There's no one, there's no one who could text me, there's no one who could call me or email me that my wife doesn't know. I think that's probably a good idea, don't you? Don't ask me about Facebook. I haven't got a clue who all those friends of mine are. But by and large, every one of the women in my life who I love as a sister, or as a friend, my wife also loves them as a sister and a friend. And I want to maybe endorse that kind of pattern with you as well, as best as you can. Jesus said, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery. But don't do it inside your heart either. Don't do it inside your heart. Whether that's adultery with a woman on a Windows 7 screen, whether that's adultery of the heart with a lady or a man that you work with, let's obey the Word of God and walk in purity. It could be that it could be that this afternoon Tonight, 
You need to go and spend some time with God and say, Lord, I really want you to help me. Because I want to be pure before you. It could be that as I've been talking today, certain scenarios have been coming into your mind, very obvious scenarios of danger, very obvious maybe scenarios of sin, where you know that, like that guy that didn't cut his internet wires, you're the guy who needs to cut those wires in some way, shape, or form. But God wants us to be free. Self-control over anger. Amen. Self-control over the lusts of the flesh. Amen for that too. Let's save our marriages. Let's save our homes. Let's save the, the pain of children and friends. Let's save our broken hearts all over the place by admitting we're weak, amputating the problem, and fleeing when we're in danger. Can you say amen to that? Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.